Welcome to the Simple is the New Smart podcast. I'm Zara Fagan, PhD, author of Minimalist Homeschooling and the creator of the Simple is the New Smart membership. And this is the place where we talk about how less really is more and how simple really is the new smart. This is the place for any homeschooler who wants to trade stress, exhaustion, overwhelm, and self-doubt for peace, clarity, confidence, and a sense of true abundance. It turns out that transforming our mindset really can transform our homeschools and our lives. We'll talk tips and strategies, stories and perspective, and interview people who have lessons to teach us. And I am just so happy that you're here. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hello, guys, and welcome to the Minimalist Homeschooling Podcast, Simple is the New Smart. I want to talk today about homeschooling with multiple children, oftentimes at multiple ages, and especially how to do it if you have young kids. So a common question that I hear is, how do you juggle all the different kids? Or I hear the complaint that one child, especially younger children, seem to be disrupting the ability to homeschool the older children. So let's talk to today logistically how that looks. And I'm going to talk on a few different levels here. I'm going to talk for the brand new homeschoolers or those who are considering homeschooling to really get a feel for how this works with multiple kids. And then I'm going to share some sort of, you know, pro tips. So I have been homeschooling all four of my children since the beginning. So I started when my oldest was five years old. And at that time, I had a an infant and a three-year-old. So we have kept going up until the point now where I have a seventh grader, a fifth grader, a third grader, and a preschooler. And so we've done a lot of homeschooling with all different ages and with all different personalities. So the first point I want to make today is that you really, really, if you're going to be homeschooling multiple children at multiple ages, you really, really need to know what your non-negotiables are for each child. And the way I think about this in terms of minimalism is what each child truly needs and truly loves right now. So if you want to talk about making forward progress with your child, how does that look? What are your most important things? Because once we know those, those sort of things that will make us feel content at the end of the night, that will help us feel satisfied that we are giving our child the education that we want to be giving them, then it becomes a lot easier to focus on those during the day and focus on them at the best time. And so I have found that the best time to do the majority of our homeschooling on those most important things, and by that, I also mean the things that require me and my assistance. So a lot of times as our children get older, they are doing independent work. There are a lot of subjects that they can study on their own. They can learn on their own. They can read on their own. They can do workbooks on their own. They're very independent, but there will always be some things where it's to our child's advantage to have sort of a tutoring experience is what I call it because it's very different from being a teacher in a classroom. Instead, we're sitting side by side with our child and really focusing on a concept. And I think that tutoring time is really important for our children. And so not only identifying what's most important for our kids, but also what requires us because we as a parent teacher are a finite resource. And that's really the complaint or the struggle 
struggle that I'm hearing is that the parent feels spread too thin between all the different needs of all the different children. And so get really clear really early on, first and foremost, on what those sort of high maintenance subjects and topics are. If you have a limited amount of time to sit down and tutor your child, what is it that you really want to make sure that you cover with them? What are the things that they can't learn as easily independently? What are the things that they're struggling with? What are the things that they really love and you want to help them get to the next level in that subject? Those sorts of questions are the questions to ask first when you're talking about how to manage multiple educations at varying levels, right? So then the best time of day for that sort of tutoring time I have found is actually when the littlest or the neediest child is happiest. So, you know, when we had babies, I'd talk about when when will the baby be in their container? And that sounds terrible, but a lot of times babies are in sort of a container that might be, you know, in their high chair snacking. It might be in a bouncy seat or oftentimes for me, it was in the baby carrier, like the kinder pack. When was the baby going to be happily strapped to me? Or when are they even playing independently. So when we're talking about toddlers, when is their happiest time that they are most likely to play independently? And that became our hardcore homeschooling time. And I would call it table time. I didn't call it tutoring time, but I called it table time. And that was when I want all of my school-age children to sit around a table and they're going to do the subjects that are important to us that require my assistance. And so this looked like two or three really important things for me to do with them, with the school-aged children, the things that required my best attention at the time that was best for the neediest children or child. So for many, that could be math because a lot of times our children benefit from having our input for math, but a lot of families are also using, you know, DVDs to teach math. So that may not be the case in your home. It's going to be different for everyone. I know that right now my middle schoolers actually need my input more for entrepreneurial aspirations than they do for math, for example. This table time can be at your dining room table, it can be in your homeschool room, and for many homeschool years, our table time has actually been around the coffee table in the living room, and I sat on the floor, and all of my children sat on the floor, or they sat on the sofa with a clipboard, and That way, the younger kids, the toddlers, could be walking around and playing, right? I would get served pretend cups of tea as I'm teaching, and the littlest is really happy in this scenario because we don't feel distant from them. They're right there mingling in with us, even though my school-age children are asked to pay attention to their schoolwork at the coffee table during this time. The littlest ones are playing and sort of milling about. They could climb in my lap easily and out of my lap again. We could do a puzzle on the floor next to me as I'm helping the older ones. It became much easier to multitask in that environment than it was if I were sitting at the dining room table. So... In that way, once you know your non-negotiables for each child, the things that require your best attention, those two or three things, then it's important to just stay relaxed and keep moving forward. Address them first, keep moving towards achieving those and accomplishing those goals really steadily, and then you will know that you have what I call secondary subjects or minor subjects. And those get prioritized in a secondary way for the day. So 
a lot of people will loop those. A lot of people will put those in a morning basket. A lot of people will do those in a more relaxed sort of read aloud setting or a group time setting that's a little bit different from table time, so to speak. So maybe you did a lot of history or crafts yesterday, and those are secondary subjects in your homeschool. And so today you really want to work on science or geography, right? Those are those sorts of examples. So if you know your secondary subjects, then once you have finished those major subjects, you can then pick and choose from your list of secondary subjects based on maybe what you haven't done recently, what's going to be most exciting, what fits into your schedule, those sorts of things. So you can prioritize those for the day. So I do think it's important when you have multiple children to wake up each morning and really sort of ground yourself and reset your day is what I call it, where you're sitting down and you're saying, okay, For each child, these are my two or three things I really want to make sure I do with them that they need me for. And then as far as secondary subjects, once we get those really important things done, these are the next things that I want to work on today. And to be really flexible then with those next things and how they fit into your day. So start each day with a quick to-do list for the day, write it down, start with those non-negotiables. It doesn't have to take more than five minutes, prioritize the sort of next right things to do in your homeschool. So you can actually do this when you finish your homeschool day, if that's how your mind functions best when you're finished up for the day. Right then, you can write down what you want to do tomorrow based on where you left off today. Or you can do it first thing in the morning like I do. It really should just be like a high priority game plan. Not a lot of details, just a do the next thing sort of scenario where you're writing down subjects or books really quickly or a project really quickly that's on your high priority list for the day. So I personally, for multiple children's especially, I don't use a detailed lesson plan. I don't plan weeks or even months in advance in our homeschool because I've found that those details don't serve us. And instead, when I have that many details, I feel like a drill sergeant because I'm trying to adhere to the details of our plan instead of focusing on the big picture of what we're learning. And so we do the next right thing in each subject, right? So I know what math book we're using. I know what read alouds we're reading right now. I know what history book we're using or I know what science materials we're using. I have our resources. It's very easy if I know that we're doing science today to pick that up and just do the next thing in that book. And so when my children are young, if you have like grade school aged kids or younger, I recommend doing just the next thing. However, once you have children who are in the middle school to high school years and they are managing their own schedules, right? They're managing their own schoolwork and they are fulfilling what you expect of them, there I recommend more details for those children who are learning how to manage their time, right? So you need to identify your expectations then and make it clear. So for example, if you expect them to finish a certain book or a certain chapter by a certain date or a certain week, or if you 
want to make sure that they have done a certain number of lessons each day, then make sure that your children know that when they're middle school and high school and they're responsible for their own sort of independent learning, a lot more responsible, I should say, than they are in the grade school age years. Make sure that then you do give them more details, right? That you are telling them how many lessons you expect them to get through or you are giving them milestones for them to get to. They're learning to manage their time. So those sorts of details actually will help them, right? A lot of people who have multiple children will recommend doing the bulk of their homeschooling during nap time. I, however, I'm going to recommend that you use nap time as quiet time for everyone. The only exception to this would be when you have an infant or a really young one that's taking two naps. So maybe use the afternoon nap as the quiet time for everyone. And I say this for a lot of reasons. First of all, having young kids is a high maintenance stage. It is exhausting. And so often homeschooling burnout comes from just too little downtime, not getting a break. I think that's one of the hardest things of homeschooling is that there is no set break. We have to create the breaks for ourselves. And that takes a lot of self-discipline. So while many people recommend homeschooling during nap time, I feel like that's a little bit of burning the candle at both ends. Downtime is so important for everyone. So quiet time for everyone at one time. There are a lot of ways that you can do this. If your children are no longer napping, you can give them busy bags or quiet time boxes where there are activities or toys that they only play with during their quiet time. Oftentimes we play classical music as a cue that it's quiet time for my children. Some families will set an alarm or a timer so kids aren't constantly asking when it's over, right? So the other reason, in addition to preventing burnout, why I do not personally prefer to homeschool during nap time is that I always wanted the youngest to see the older children homeschooling. And I think that served us really well because my younger ones got used to the routine. They got used to seeing the kids sit down at the table and do some things with mom. They got used to seeing what learning looked like in our homeschool setting, in our homeschool routine. And again, if your homeschool routine is different from mine, if you don't do table time, that is completely fine. But I definitely advocate that your little ones are alongside you when you are schooling. However that looks for you, because then when they are ready, they will actually let you know that they want to be a part of it. They will ask for their level of participation, right? They'll ask for their books. They'll ask for their place at the table. I want them to be a part of what the big kids are doing because children want to naturally, they're going to gravitate towards doing what older kids are doing. And so when they're napping while you're homeschooling, they're not seeing how that looks until they're done napping. And by then, it's usually like kindergarten years, right? Instead, I never focused on preschool in our homeschool because I never had to. When I was sitting with my big kids, teaching them something, my toddlers, my preschoolers would sit down in my lap. And that was my opportunity to offer a few options like we could color together or sometimes even as I got older, I would have workbooks for them. A lot of times I get very excited about having a workbook or I would offer to read a book or do a simple puzzle with them together. Oftentimes, 
my kids, when they were preschoolers, toddlers, they'd only do like one thing with me at first and maybe even half a thing and then they'd get up and wander off and that was okay because their attention span gradually builds and gradually then once they're school-aged, there's no big transition in their world. The routine is the same. I just get more specific around kindergarten or first grade about being intentional about what work I suggest for them, what sort of things I want to be working on. So when people have multiple kids and they're feeling guilty because the youngest one, for example, is not getting as much preschool as they imagined they might get if they sent them away to preschool. And I've been there. I've been there. I've had the mom guilt about my littlest ones aren't getting the attention that my older kids especially got when they were that age. I realize that preschool feels like yet another grade that you need to add to the mix. For example, when I introduced this podcast, I said I have a preschooler. So that means that in theory, I have four levels of schoolwork that I'm having to teach, right? But not really. So I have never planned to teach preschool in our home, yet I have inevitably or perhaps inadvertently always taught preschool. Even though preschool has never had a checklist, it's never had a plan, it happens by default, just by being an engaged parent, right? So I think we've all experienced this. Have you noticed that it's nearly impossible to be a parent and not start counting things with little children? It's impossible not to teach them shapes and colors and professions in the community like police officers. And for the average preschooler, it's impossible to parent them and not talk about the seasons or animals and where they live or what sounds each letter makes to sing the ABCs with them or sing other little songs and sing other little rhymes. They want to cut and glue and color. We read out loud to them because we know how great it is for them. And I just outlined the entirety of a preschool curriculum. We are inadvertently teaching preschool. If you are an engaged parent, you are probably doing most of these things. And anything I just named that you haven't been doing, you can just do tomorrow, (laughs) right? It doesn't have to be that complicated. So I do not stress each day about what my preschoolers should or should not do. I get the coloring books or the workbooks or the educational toys that I think they'd like by default. Not because I'm a homeschool teacher, because I'm a parent. We play with Play-Doh every once in a while. We put beads on strings because they like to do that sort of thing. We make things out of pipe cleaners because it keeps their hands busy. But I have never set out with a plan or a checklist personally. Sometimes if I need a great idea because I want to do a little bit more with my preschooler or because I want some ideas about how to keep them busy while I'm homeschooling, I'll do a quick search for one or two ideas on Pinterest. In the meantime, they have the choice to join us at the table. They have the options to do the sorts of things I just outlined, or they can go play, you know, in our home with the toys that they have. So logistically at table time, I will tell you that I always work with my youngest grade school aged child first. Their work takes the shortest amount of time and I'm there to answer questions that the older ones have during that time. When the youngest at the table is done, they go play. 
They can often go play with the littlest, right? Then I work with the next oldest. When they're done, I move on to the oldest one. So I sort of peel off the children by age. The oldest one ends up at the table the longest. So this worked for us for many, many years. So some years when I had a toddler who did not like to play independently because I did have that personality type, table time looked a little bit different. We set it up where the older children took shifts playing with the baby while I worked at the table with the other two. So the middle child would play with the toddler for 15 or 20 minutes. Then he would come to the table and the oldest would go play with the toddler for 15 or 20 minutes. Meanwhile, I'm working with the youngest now for 30 or 40 minutes straight, right? They've gotten my attention. And by then... The youngest one was usually done with their sort of phonics lesson and math lesson and handwriting lesson, right? The things that they really needed me for. It's her turn now to go play with the toddler while I move on to working with the older children. Does that make sense? And a lot of times what worked well was making sure that there was like a special toy or activity that the older kids liked to do with the toddler. That became their thing, And it was reserved for their quote unquote special time. So we called it special time. This is your special time with your brother. This is your special time with your sister. These things that they chose, these activities and things changed. Often my my older children established what these special things were. I didn't have to pick them. (laughs) They decided like what they wanted to do with the baby. And they created these, these special time rituals with them. And it really made everyone very happy. It was a very simple way to do it. I made sure it was a short enough time that everybody stayed happy and it was realistic for the ages that my children were. Another lifesaver while homeschooling multiple children at multiple ages is that I do assign independent work to my children as young as possible. Even preschoolers, if they want to, can get in the habit of doing like two workbook pages each day alone as their quote unquote independent work. If they're acting as though they want to be treated like the big kids are treated. And I'd say, here's your independent work to the older kids. I could also then say to my preschool, and here's your independent work. And oftentimes the simpler workbooks are written in such a way that they can figure out what to do, even if they don't know how to read yet. They know to trace the letters. And then you can give them the instructions for the pages before you walk away. And you can say, they want you to color all the triangles blue, right? And then walk away. But it's still considered their quote unquote independent work. That amount of independent work then steadily increases with their age, with their competence, with their attention span right? But this is a routine that I started in our homeschool very young. The next piece of advice that I have for families who are homeschooling multiple children at varying ages is actually to avoid all-in-one curricula that have each grade in a box, right? So you would get your third grade curriculum shipped off to you and your fifth grade curriculum shipped off to you and your seventh grade curriculum shipped off to you. Too often, then the children are working on different topics altogether for things like history or science or religion. And it's much easier when you have 
multiple children that you're homeschooling to all be working on the same history topic, whether that is world history, whether that's geography, whether that's American history, whether that's ancient history, whatever it is, it is infinitely harder to be teaching ancient history to one child, American history to another child, and geography to the youngest all in the same day. That is one way to spread yourself way too thin when you're homeschooling. Instead, if everybody is studying American history, for example, this looks like reading out loud about interesting people to everyone from picture books. There are great picture books about interesting people throughout history. And then you can also read about the basic chronology of events in American history. Give that basic foundation of this happened, then this happened, then this happened to everybody in the family. You can maybe write it up for your older children to see sort of a timeline of events as you're working through the subject. But then there are often age-appropriate worksheets or workbooks that you can find if that suits your family, if that's something you want to add on. Then I personally would assign more in-depth sort of chapter book independent reading on the topic for my older children at their level. A lot of times this looks like historical fiction in the grade school and middle school years. And then as you get into the high school years, you can actually start assigning primary sources so they can actually read the Emancipation Proclamation. They can actually read Shakespeare. They can actually read the Bill of Rights as they get into high school and maybe even middle school aged. So I assign in-depth reading at a higher level, at an appropriate level for my older children. So I know how quickly they read. I know how much time they have to read. I know the level at which they're ready to read. Oftentimes, I assign this reading, and my older children will simply orally narrate. They will tell me what they have read, and I will be able to tell from that conversation how well they processed what they're reading. I I can tell whether they grasped the concepts that are necessary for that topic at their at their appropriate level. Sometimes I will ask them to do a report or a project if I feel like it will strengthen important skills or concepts or if I think that they would enjoy it. So finally, we'll do extensions together. So we will watch a video on the topic with popcorn. We will take a field trip. This is as a family. We can make an authentic meal or we can do a craft for those who are interested. So sometimes only a couple of children will want to make the meal and then the rest of them will want to eat it. Maybe only a couple of children will want to do the craft and that's okay with me. You get the idea. We sort of do it in levels. So there's the everybody basic knowledge level. We read about interesting people. We learn the chronology events. Then the older kids are diving in deeper with more elaborate stories and understanding of what's going on. And then my younger ones are often doing the hands-on extensions. They're doing the crafts or they're doing the diorama or they're watching the video on the topic. So another example would be science. You let the little ones do the pouring or the mixing, etc. But you focus on the concepts then with the older children. So older children then can write up the hypothesis. They can 
talk about the vocabulary that they need to learn. They can memorize the vocabulary and study the vocabulary. By high school, they're working on the whole scientific method or maybe even middle school. Grade school children are learning what the scientific method is and what they mean. What is a hypothesis? What is a procedure? What are your materials? What are your results, right? But your older children are then writing it up and they're understanding it in a much more elaborate way. Depending on the age, you can have them draw or graph the results. The preschoolers are perhaps drawing as well. They can draw what they see. They can count. They can measure. They can set up. They can clean up. Again, if you have a baby in the mix, this is happening while the baby is happiest right? So some years, especially when I had two little ones, we saved all of our science experiments for several days of what I called science camp. So I like to call this batching in our homeschool. We batched all the science experiments. So I collected all the supplies for the best science experiments from the year that would reinforce the concepts that we had been reading about and learning about all year. I could buy all the supplies at once. I could set up when the weather was nice and we used the picnic table outside. So the mess was outside and the little ones could run around outside while I worked with the older two on these science experiments. So we spent our days doing several experiments, writing them up. We ate special lunches as though we were at camp. We reviewed what we had learned throughout the year. So during that season, it was too hard for me to assume that my little ones would cooperate on the same day every single week so that I could do a science experiment with my older kids. We were too often derailed, which meant I was too often frustrated. So scrapping that ideal of doing a science experiment every single week actually allowed us to create something really special instead with these science camps. And so I would encourage you to get creative. If there's something that feels like it's never getting done, especially because there's too much juggling that has to happen with little ones or needy children, go ahead and get creative. Consider batching something in your homeschool. And then I also want to recommend if you are homeschooling multiple children at multiple ages, ask for downtime. Again, the hardest part of homeschooling in my world is actually that there is no break. So moms get zero breaks from having kids who need them all day long. And although the quiet time that I recommended is helpful, really try to find a few hours a week to be without your children. I know that this isn't an option for everyone, but you could trade with another homeschooling friend. You could rely on your spouse. You could take advantage of grandparents. You could even sign the kids up for some class a couple days a week where they're all there at the same time. I know a lot of moms will wake up early before the children or they will go to bed late after the children. This is a great solution if you're getting enough sleep, <laughs> but find the best way to recharge. So you need to recharge and you don't need to be productive. So it's really important that if your children are with grandma and grandpa for a few hours each week, that you're not using that time to make sure that you clean the bathrooms and mop the floor, but that you're actually using that time to recharge. And this is really critical. Some people find wandering target to be therapeutic, but if you are going to run errands because it's one thing on your to-do list and you just have to get it done, then that's not recharging. 
right? I see a direct correlation between time to myself to literally recharge and my overall mood and productivity in our homeschool. As my time to recharge increases, so does my mood and so does my productivity. I am so much happier and so much more productive when I make sure that I have that time to recharge. But guess what? Nobody carves out that time for me. I have to be the one to claim it. And so I would really want to encourage you to get creative and to own it, to realize that you do need that time to recharge. And I'd like to give you the permission to do that. And of course, if you have the option to get a babysitter, get a babysitter once a week, just for an afternoon so that you can have a little bit of a break. So those are my suggestions today for homeschooling multiple children at multiple ages. And I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Until then, I am wishing you all the simple things. Bye now. Did you know that you can get exclusive bonus episodes of the Simple as a New Smart podcast, your specific questions answered, a vault of tutorials on minimalist homeschooling, and more? That's right. Regardless of where you are in your homeschool journey or what level of support you're looking for, there's something for everyone in the Simple is the New Smart monthly membership. Check it out at resources.zaraphd.com forward slash simple dash is dash the dash new dash smart. And I'll see you there. Bye-bye.